Happy Sunday, happy Sunday. Hey, why don't you um, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at some pretty big section of Scripture this morning. Um, by the way, my name is Adam Russell. I'm the pastor here. If this is your first time, glad you're here. Yeah, we're going to continue our little mini-series here on the good news or the gospel. And uh, this morning's message is entitled, Jesus Christ is Lord. And um, we're doing that this morning, or one of the reasons I wanted to sort of jump into this mini-series is I wanted to do so because I wanted to herald the good news or the gospel And I wanted to do so in a way that hopefully expands our understanding and experience of the good news. And and some people may be thinking, well, understand our, I mean, expand our understanding and experience. What do you mean? Well, what I mean is this. We need our understanding and our experience of the gospel expanded because the gospel that most people have heard, particularly here in the South, um is what I would consider to be a reductionist version. Uh, It's a reductionist version that suffers not because it has said too much, but particularly because it has said too little. That's the trouble with the gospel that most of us have heard. It's not that someone has overly boasted in what Jesus has done and who he is. It's that we haven't fully declared the greatness of it. Uh, So the kingdom of God has been, in some ways reduced, at least in our hearing. Now, when I say reduced, I don't mean reduced, and I think you're probably aware of this already, I don't mean reduced in, in the good sense. Like, anybody in here ever cook? Like, you get a sauce, you put, it on, you put it on the heat, and you just, you let it simmer. What happens to a sauce that simmers on the heat? It reduces, and it actually becomes more intense. Those flavors, those aromas, whatever that is, it becomes more intense and more enjoyable. And that hasn't really been what's happened uh, with the gospel, at least for us. Most of us have experienced the reduction in the sense that one might remove a brick from a great home and then foolishly call that brick the house. That's basically what's happened to us in our understanding of the gospel that's been declared to us. We have been, we have been brought into what you might say, a, uh, into the presence of God's kingdom and God's kingdom is this enormous, um, it's this enormous brick mansion of a castle. And basically what's happened, uh, in particular for the last three or four hundred years, and especially for those of us who live in the South, it's like somebody went to this great castle mansion, pulled a couple bricks out of that mansion, and then went around and tried to convince everyone that these one or two bricks are the mansion. It, it's foolish. It's one of the reasons that some people have grown up in church and heard the gospel, but find no security in it, if that makes sense. It's like, how can I find security? How can I, how can I make a life with two bricks? Like, I need more than, I need more. Like, does this make sense? And, well, and you might be thinking, well, what are you talking about, Pastor? Well, here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if you grow up under the influence of every single Sunday hearing, get saved and don't go to hell... Those are true things. You should get saved. You should not go to hell. I don't recommend it for anyone. However, getting saved and not going to hell are two bricks. And if you try to live your life into two bricks, there's not much security there. It's the reason a lot of people go 
amok and run off the rails. God's kingdom is more than get saved and not go to hell. It includes it, but it's way more. Way, way more. Those are like two bricks. There's this giant mansion out there. And so what we need is we need to expand the good news. Like we, uh, when, when I, you know, some of you here, when I say the word expand the good news, you're thinking, okay, this is an occult leader and he's going to tell us something new. No, that's foolish. But we need to declare the gospel as it really is, which is this huge, expansive, free territory in Jesus that includes get saved and don't go to hell, but is not reduced to those two things alone. Like, it doesn't make sense. Some of us have grown up like this. We heard get saved and don't go to hell. And you heard it over and over and over. And you sat there and you wondered at some point, what's next? Did any of you ever go to church and wonder like, man, I've been doing this for like 10 years and I'm beginning to wonder what's next. What, the most anointed thought you ever had in your life up to that point was what's next. That was actually the Holy Spirit. He's like trying to get you. Like, if the point of life was to get saved and not go to hell, then we, should, then we should get people to pray the prayer and shoot them. Right? Like, if that's the whole thing, then let's just get it on, right? Like, you believe in Jesus? Great. Poof, done. Most of us understand that that would be morally unacceptable. Even greater than that, it's theologically unacceptable. Because it's morally and theologically unacceptable, it's pointing to the fact that God's kingdom and his good news is bigger than that. Can't build a house, can't build your security on these two little things here. So we need to expand it. We want to proclaim something more. That said, if we were to reduce the gospel down to a maxim, or uh, a maxim is like a handy saying. If we were going to reduce the gospel down to a maxim or a handy saying, The best one that I know is this. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the gospel. If you want to have something you can like tote around, put it in your pocket, keep with you. It is that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the king. He's the king of the universe. It's good news because there is a king. That things that are happening in the universe sometimes seem chaotic and disorderly. However, that's an illusion. There is a plan. There is order in the universe. There is someone who's responsible. And the abundantly good news is that it's Jesus. Now we're going to see this in hopefully fuller display this morning. This is the reason I want to preach out of the gospel, um, the gospel, the book of Acts, Luke's second gospel. I want to read a little bit to you this morning. So Luke chapter, Luke, gosh, Acts chapter two, I speak for a living. This is our key text for the morning. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. This is Peter preaching. He says, God has made this Jesus, whom you guys crucified, both Lord and Messiah. See, the gospel is Jesus is Lord. Now let's go back just a little bit. Starting in verse 14. This is after the Holy Spirit's been poured out. There's quite a commotion outside. Some people think it's awesome. Some people do not think it's awesome. And in fact, that's one of the ways you know that you're experiencing a move of God. When some people think it's awesome and some people are unsure. Moves of God are never unanimous. It's always like, some people think it's great. Some people are like, oh, you guys are drunk. Verse 14, Peter stood up with the 11. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. (laughs) Yeah, it's a good day. Hey, by the way, just so you know, the Bible is not against drunkenness. Just don't get drunk on beer. 
get drunk on the Holy Spirit. See, there's all these biblically certified alternatives. Paul says, don't get filled with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. There's nothing that you can find at the bottom of a bottle of wine or a bottle of beer that can't be found in more abundance in the Holy Spirit. And until you've been crushed by the love of God, you don't even know what's in the bottom of the bottle. Let me just tell you, I've done both, okay? I've, been, I've drank too many beers before, and I've had the love of God pour on me, and sometimes it looks very similar, and I recommend the latter rather than the former. That was, that's free this morning. That was totally free. Okay, verse 16. This is what is spoken by the prophet Joel. Stay on, stay on task. Here in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even all my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Underline that little phrase. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We'll stop right there because we're going to jump ahead a little bit here in a moment. The gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord, it's good news for a lot of reasons. And one of the first reasons, and we're going to have to do a little history here, is, is this. It's good news because all the promises are coming true. This is what Peter says. It's the reason that he starts with the book of Joel. Uh, one of the things that we should understand is that who Jesus is was something that was quite waited upon. Like everyone in Israel was anticipating a Messiah. Uh, everyone in Israel was e- expecting and hoping for a Savior. And, and Peter is beginning to put all of these expectations and all of this pent-up hope, and he's beginning to point it back to Jesus, uh, which is to say all the promises are coming true. Why is the good news the good news? It's good news because everything that God has promised is beginning to come true, specifically in the person of Jesus. So in the Old Testament, and in the Old Testament prophets in particular, there was this expectation that in the end, God would straighten everything out. And uh, even if you've never read the Bible, you and I live with an expectation that God is going to straighten everything out. Uh, It's really funny. You don't have to explain to people that things are screwed up. And you also don't have to explain to people, uh, at least most people, have this desire that things would be straightened out. Isn't that true? Like, we just kind of know. Even like people who don't know Jesus and don't care a thing for him, they have this sense of, man, there's something in the world that's unjust and it needs to be fixed. And Israel had that same expectation. Only their expectation was that in the end, God was going to straighten things out. And that everything that was lost would be recovered. Everything that was spoiled would be renewed. And this period of time, when everything that's lost gets recovered, everything that's spoiled gets renewed, is called the last days. That's why he starts with Joel. Joel says, in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit. So the last days would be days of the spirit. And they would be specifically days of prophecy. And it would be days not where just one or two people prophesied. It's it's the exact opposite in some ways of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you would have a prophet. Or maybe in David's lifetime, he had maybe two prophets. There may have been more, but we don't know for sure. We know that they had Nathaniel, and we we know that they had Gad. Nathan and Gad, those were David's guys. Two guys in a whole generation, and David was anointed with the Spirit. Three guys in the whole generation. But here in the last days, the last days are going to be marked by God is setting everything straight and he's doing it by giving everyone the spirit. This is part of the good news. 
what was reserved for a few has become the domain of everyone. And it's not just that the guys get to play, it's that the girls get to play too. Did you see the scripture? We can put it back up. In the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on my sons and my daughters, the young and the old. By the way, this is earth-shattering stuff. And this is right out of the, out of the prophet Joel. So there's this expectation that God's going to straighten everything out, that he would straighten it out by giving his spirit, that it would be days of prophecy and dreams and visions. It would be men and women. It would be young and old. And um, by the way, we're in those days. It's been the last days for the last 2,000 years. And then inside of the last days, there was sort of a a division, if you would. And it works kind of like this. So we've got the last days, days of the Spirit, days when God is putting everything back to good, days when God is giving what was reserved for a few to everyone. And then inside of the last days, there was an understanding in the Old Testament prophets of the last day. Or what was known as the day of the Lord. You might read some of those passages in Joel or Amos or Hosea or Isaiah or Ezekiel. And they will oftentimes talk about the day of the Lord. Sometimes they even shorten it more to just the day. On that day. What is that day? That day is the day of the Lord. And we see it even in the scripture this morning. Look at verse 20. So it begins with, at the very beginning, in verse 14, it starts with, not verse 14, but 16, starts with uh, Peter saying, in the last days, it'll be like, spirit gets poured out everywhere. But then look at verse 20. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. The day, singular. So we have last days, days of the spirit, days of renewal, days of everybody being included. The last day is the day of the Lord. And sometimes what you see in the scripture is it's oftentimes called the great and the terrible day of the Lord. Great and terrible. Isn't that weird? Um, Well, it works like this. It's the great day of the Lord, not just because it's a day where his power is put on display, although that's true. It's a great day of the Lord because it's the final day when God begins to judge the world, judge the universe, and begins to bring order. When he begins to finally wrap this thing up and bring justice, and what that means is uh, it's a great day because everyone who's oppressed and everyone who's ever been uh, abused and everyone who's ever felt uh, the weight of sin and suffered under their own terrible choices gets set free. Isn't that good news? Yes, the day of the Lord. But it's also the sometimes the terrible day of the Lord uh, because... Uh, If you were an oppressor, how many of you understand that if God comes to set things right, if you've been oppressing people, this is not good news? It's not good news, yeah. But it's interesting to me that almost everywhere everywhere in the Old Testament, it's called the great and the terrible day of the Lord, yet when Peter begins to preach, he calls it the great and glorious day of the Lord. This This is the beginning of the good news beginning to influence these long-held traditions and concepts. Now, the reason that I wanted to bring all of this up, because it's, it's really important, so we're heavy sledding here a little bit. There's this expectation. In the last days, God's going to make it right. And on the last day of his judgment, he's going to wrap it up. I, I want us to see right away that the good news is beginning to infect the understanding and the expectation. The last days are many the last day of judgment is singular. Even, even God's judgment is measured. Does it, do you hear this? Even God's judgment is, is maybe more measured than we thought. Whatever the drama, whatever the judgment, whatever needs to be settled, there seems to be a more measured tone. The last days are many. They're filled with the Spirit, but the last day is singular. 
And this too is good news. So we have to ask ourselves, what is God like? Right away, one of the things we see is that God is generous and kind. More than he is a judge, he is a giver of the Spirit. If we could say it that way. But that's not even what I wanted to talk about up to this point. I needed to get down to this because the text is saying something to us this morning that's a little bit hard for you and I to hear. Not hard because we can't receive it and we have hard hearts. It's hard because we just live in a different age than the people that Peter was speaking to. Um, If I were to say TGIF, everybody in the room understands what I'm saying, right? Like, thank God it's Friday. You know, if you... If you're, if you're walking out the back door on 5 o'clock on Friday and you give your coworker a high five and a TGIF, like you both kind of understand what's being said and you go home and everyone's happy and yay, you know? Yeah, some of what Peter is beginning to say to this crowd is sort of a hidden TGIF. And we see it in his argument. Here's what I mean. Uh, Peter takes this theme of the last days from Joel and he takes the imagery of the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, from the prophets, and he begins to apply it to Jesus. Let's put that verse 36 back up, Hannah. That first slide. Yeah, you can do that. Bam, perfect. Look, Peter's beginning to work this thing down, and he's beginning to say all of this expectation, all of this is ultimately held up and most genuinely seen in the person of Jesus. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, Lord and Messiah. What kind of Lord is he talking about? He's talking about day of the Lord, Messiah. Day of the Lord. Everything that has been waited upon is being rooted and most clearly seen in Jesus. It's good news. All of the last days are pointing to Jesus. And then then Peter begins to do something uh, to drive this point home even more. He begins to quote David in Psalm 16. And I just want to read some of this to you. We'll start at verse 24. Peter says this. He says, God raised him up, losing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, this is straight out of Psalm 16, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaking. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced my flesh also will dwell in hope for you will not abandon my soul to hades or let your holy one see corruption you have made known to me the paths of life you will make me full of gladness with your presence see he's beginning to drive this point home this last days fulfilled in jesus the day of the lord most clearly seen the lord of the last day that is jesus and he drives it home by quoting david here in psalm 16 he's basically saying this david was the preeminent king in the old testament there was no king who was more loved or more clearly defined what god's kingdom was like in the old testament many of us Probably remember the story. It's as though in the Old Testament Testament history, everything was sort of like working its way up to David. And then after David, we have this slow decline where everything just begins to unravel more and more. And it actually causes the hopes of those people to grow more. And, And the hope that everybody in Israel had when Jesus came on the scene was, can we go back to David? That was the hope, right? So 
uh, after David, uh, that period in Israel, it was kind of like it was kind of like that period here in Kentucky when Billy Gillespie was the basketball coach. You guys remember those days? Those were bad days. And you you hoped, you just hoped that one day that the that the the spirit of basketball would be poured out again, and there would be revival in the land. And you hoped that God would raise up a basketball Messiah, and and He did. Like Calipari came, and that's what he's saying. He, he, Peter is beginning to tie this together. He's saying, last days are going to be days of the Spirit, you guys. Uh, the day of the Lord is going to be great and glorious because the Lord of the day is Jesus. And not only that, all of these hopes that you've had that we could go back to David, somebody better than David is here, the one who didn't see decay. Everything that David wrote in Psalm 16 was actually not about himself. It was actually about Jesus, though he probably had no idea what he was writing when he wrote it in the fullness thereof. And he was actually saying, this is who it is. This is who, the king of all the kings is not David, it's Jesus. The Lord of all the lords is not David, it's Jesus. There's something better. Does this make sense? Why is it good news? It's good news because everything that's been promised is being fulfilled. Something better than David has just showed up. And so what this means right now for us is that Jesus Christ is alive and he's ruling the nations. He's the world's rightful king. He's ruling the universe. That's the gospel. And you might be thinking, well, why is that good news? Why is this the gospel? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's good news for four different reasons. It's good news because, number one, what we see here in the text is this, that what God is doing, it cannot be stopped. If Jesus Christ is Lord, then Caesar is not. This was, this was implicit in, in the understanding and the proclamation of the good news in the book of Acts. Jesus Christ is Lord, everyone understood, Caesar is not. And right beneath all of that was this understanding. What God is doing cannot be stopped. So let me say it this way. Um, Herod could not kill Jesus. When Jesus was a baby, Herod sends out a death decree, let's kill all the babies because I want to get to Jesus. I've heard that someone's coming. And he could not get to Jesus uh, one of the things that we see in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus is that God is making a kingdom statement and the forces of the earth try to rally themselves against it and they are unable to do so. What, is, what has been started cannot be stopped. Pilate was weak and he capitulated to the crowds and so Jesus was murdered. And even then, death was no match. You see, God's kingdom is growing and it's moving, oftentimes in very surprising ways, oftentimes in the very darkest night. God's kingdom is moving and it's growing. Uh, there is not a government on the earth that can stand against God's kingdom. Uh, counterclockwise, there's, there's not a government on the earth that, that we should hope is even going to bring God's kingdom. God's kingdom is advancing and Barack Obama and George Bush and no one in Washington can stand against it. So we could just quit worrying. 
Uh, one of the things that actually needs to happen, especially for those of us in America, is we need to quit putting our hopes in Washington. If you've been bummed out for the last six years, really big time bummed out, and if you were like super pumped on Tuesday, it's probably a pretty good sign that you've put your hope in the wrong kingdom. What God is doing cannot be stopped, regardless of who is running the show. The good news is that God is always at work, even in dark days, even in the days where Jesus gets crucified and murdered. God is at work, putting things right right back together, uh, oftentimes in ways that we never imagined or hoped. Uh, a couple nights ago, uh, a couple friends and I, we went to a show in Louisville. We went to see a guy play his guitar and sing his songs and while we're standing there waiting on the show, a young man began to chat politics with us. And he was really disappointed with the way the election turned out this week. And I was thinking, that stinks. Because you've put all your hope in the wrong kingdom. You, 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 you put all your hope. Like, why are you so sad? Like, Put your hopes in the wrong kingdom. It doesn't matter. Jesus is alive and no force on the earth can stop his kingdom work of renewal. And by the way, when God was advancing his kingdom in Jesus, it didn't look like it was advancing. This is also good news for some of us in the room because some of us here are walking through some dark night stuff. And you think, man, where's God at? Just get a little quieter, look a little closer. He's there somewhere. He, he may not be the one who initiated all the trouble in your life, but he is absolutely the one who's walking with you through all the trouble. And no, no trouble can stop the advancement of God's kingdom. He's working. Jesus Christ is Lord is also good news because we have met the end of the world and he's smiling. Uh, some of us in the room have a lot of trepidation about the last days, the last days, whatever that is. Um, the reason we have a lot of trepidation about the last days is because the most popular view of the end times, at least in the church in America, is one where uh, we all die, fire falls out of heaven, and the whole project becomes a smoking hole. Didn't I? I think I just gave you the whole Left Behind series there in two lines. Yeah. So there's a lot of like trepidation about the last days and one of the reasons is is because we just we have this idea that like like god's going to throw fireballs he's finally going to get even uh in fact when he releases fireballs he's going to be laughing uh, we'll be crying but he'll be laughing and then at the end of it maybe 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 if you were somehow a super christian you'll get raptured or something and then uh the planet burns up and then you guys know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, this is it. I'm, here's the deal. Jesus Christ as Lord is really great news because if you have begun to see Jesus as Lord, if you've begun to see him as the ruler of the universe, and if you've begun to trust him as the ruler of the universe, it's good news because of this. Uh, once you do that, you have looked the last day in the face and you have found him to be smiling. Jesus is the last day. He is, he is the fulfillment of the last days. We can let go of a lot of our anxiety. We can let go of a lot of our worry. The good news is this. 
that Jesus is the one person who knows how this thing is going to end up. And right now, I can tell you, if you look to the Lord Jesus, you can, still, you can stare the end of the world in the face with confidence, knowing that there is goodness and kindness waiting on you. He is the last day. That's what Peter says. It's also why Paul says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. This is, this is some of that both and stuff. It's some of the both and of God's kingdom. Paul says that there is therefore right now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And yet at the same time, there will one day be a judgment where God begins to wrap everything up and settle accounts. How many of you understand that? How can these two things be at the same time? It's, it's at the same time because when you begin to trust in Jesus, you're staring the last days right in the face and you're trusting the guy who holds it. And if you can trust Jesus as being the Lord of the universe, good news, nothing but, nothing but kindness and goodness waiting on you. There is therefore now no condemnation. Fear is becoming increasingly irrelevant for those of us who are in Jesus. Now, this doesn't, this doesn't mean that uh, everything is going to be hunky-dory and easy from here on out. Uh, there's a really good chance. If there's anything that history has taught us, uh, there's a really good chance that, uh, that it, may get, it may get hectic. Uh, the, the, the earth, uh, since the time of Jesus' resurrection, uh, all over the world, uh, there have been seasons and cycles of peace and hecticness, peace and hecticness, and we've experienced pretty well unprecedented peace here in the United States. Uh, meanwhile, there is all kinds of hectic stuff going on all over the planet. So what I don't want you to hear is that it's all going to be hunky-dory for the next 50 years or however long you live. Uh, that may be true or it may not be true. But the, the good news is, uh, the, the news that supersedes all of that, is that if you trust in Jesus, there is nothing but goodness and kindness waiting on you. He, he is going, he is, he, is, he is here, and he has got a smile on his face. Thirdly, Jesus is Lord is good news because if he's been raised up, everything else will be raised up. Paul calls Jesus the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Uh, it's a powerful image. If there's first fruits, there'll be latter fruits. Um, I've used this image before here with you guys, but it's just the best image I know. Um, I grew up on a strawberry farm, not far from here. And every single year in May, every single year in May, there would be this day where I would walk out <clears throat> and we would walk the rows of the strawberry farm and you'd see all these little all these little green strawberries and as you're walking along you see all these green strawberries and then there's the magical day when you're walking through rows and rows of green strawberries and you see the first ripe strawberry. And the, what you do when you see the first ripe strawberry is you look around and make sure that your brothers and sisters and cousins aren't there and you grab it and you eat it. And you guys know, like, strawberries that are grown at your house, they're not even the same thing as you get. Like, the ones at the grocery store, that's not even food. Like, I don't, like if you compare them, you're like, this, this is not food. And you eat it, and it's the sweetest, most sour, most perfectly delicious, balanced little piece of fruit in the whole world. And it just makes your whole, like, your whole being just begins to smile. It's like, wow, this is amazing. How did this work? Uh, but you smile not just because the strawberry was so good. And it was. But you smile because you know for a fact I've eaten one and there's millions out here. Well, Jesus is the first ripe, ripe strawberry of spring. He's the first one to come up. Meaning, the good news is this, Jesus is Lord. He's even Lord over death. And if Jesus was raised up, 
everything is going to be raised up. Every single thing is going to be raised. Every person is going to be raised up. Everyone. We have a hope. The hope is this. Death is not the final answer for anyone. It's not the final answer for anyone. God is going to raise things up. Um, how many of you have heard this stuff? How many of you have heard like people say things like, well, you know, you've only got one life to live. You got, you've only got one life to live. And basically, they, they say those kinds of things, and they talk in those directions, and, and sort of the, the thought is this. You've only got a certain amount of time. Uh, it's rather short, so you better get with it. You all heard that stuff? I used to believe it. I, I no longer believe it anymore. And the reason I don't believe it is because I'm a Christian, and I believe that Jesus has been raised up, and he's going to raise all of us up. And so I believe that there's probably a ton of stuff to get done. And I believe that if you get 60, 70, 80, or if you're really lucky and you get 100 years, great. And if you don't get everything done, that's cool. He's going to raise you up and we've got plenty of time. Like we can take a deep breath. Does that make sense? If you're a Christian, time's on your side. Like all of it. Why? Because he's going to raise it up. Might even get a second chance at something. It's going to raise it up. What you do here really matters for tomorrow. Otherwise, he wouldn't have raised it up. Have you ever thought about that? See, the implications of the resurrection are not just you don't have to go to hell. The implications are God really likes creation. And his proclamation in Genesis that it's good, he, he, he is committed to that. Like, he has a plan. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? He's going to raise it up. Like, your physical... Do you understand that, like, Jesus has a physical body, even now? He is forever flesh and blood human. And this is God's declaration that you and I matter, our humanity matters, the life we live matters, and he's going to raise up creation. Heaven and earth are going to overlap. I don't even understand what that means necessarily. I just know it's in the book of Revelation at the end. Heaven is coming to earth, and there's going to be the renewal of all things. And who knows what happens after that? Other than, like, some of the stuff we like to do, it's going to remain. It's going to, like, purpose. The reason you want a purpose in your life is because you were made for a purpose. Hey, some kind of a cosmic, unending purpose. Is that amazing? Like a cosmic, unending... Like, what could you do if you had all time on your side? And the stain of sin and the effects of sin and guilt were completely gone. Holy moly. That is, this is incredibly good news. It just gets better. Lastly, Jesus Christ is Lord is good news because the guy we killed is alive and he's giving. Peter is so bold. By the way, this is the same Peter who a few days before this sermon was not very bold. A few days before, um, a girl at the temple, while Jesus is being questioned, looks at Peter and says, Hey, aren't, aren't you one of Jesus' guys? Aren't you, don't you travel with the Galilean? And Peter's like, No, not me. And then she's like, No, 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 really, I think it's you. Like, I can tell by the way you talk. You talk like him. And he's like, he cusses. Like, he, Peter goes on a cussing tirade. He's like, Explo-. He just, expletive, expletive. I didn't say it, Mom. I was going to, I let her rip in the first service. (laughs) 
Anyway, he did it because he was afraid. Now, now Peter is like in front of the very crowd. In, in fact, some of the Peter, people that he's preaching to right now in Acts chapter 2, not all of them, but some of them are probably the same crowd who a few days before yelled, we want Barabbas, kill Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Like went from, what was the difference? Well, he got touched by the Holy Spirit. Anyway, but listen to the sort of stuff that, that Peter says to these people. He says, let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus that you crucified. Whoa. Who crucified him? You crucified him. Wow. Who killed Jesus? Who killed Jesus? We did. He could have been looking right at us. We killed Jesus with our sin. We also killed Jesus with our love of power and influence. You see, the priests were so cozy with Roman power, and the people asked for Barabbas. One of the things that we see from the text is that, in some ways, you and I would rather have a murderer, and we would rather murder than have the gentle, peaceful Lamb of God among us. That's a bummer. And then you think, well, no, that's not me. I would not rather have Barabbas than than Jesus, and... I would rather not murder. I'm not a murderer. I've never murdered anyone. But then you have to ask yourself this. If Jesus was all about love and peace, then why'd they kill him? Well, one of the reasons they killed him, and there's a lot of reasons they killed Jesus. One of the reasons they killed Jesus is because humanity is addicted to power and violence. What we want is we want the kingdom of God to look like Rome. That's what we want. We have to get, get a hold of this. We, we, we want the kingdom of God to look like a really good America. And the kingdom of God doesn't look like Rome, and it doesn't look like a really good America either. Why? Because the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of coercion. It is not a kingdom that is reinforced by the promise that if you don't do what we want, we'll kill you. And so we killed Jesus. We killed him with our sin. We killed him with our addiction to power and violence. We killed him a million times over. And this is all fine and dandy. All fine and dandy. Go ahead and kill Jesus. Fine and dandy so long as the dead guy stays dead. Right? But he didn't. Well, this is really... Have you guys seen the movie Terminator? Terminator's sort of anointed. <laughs> it tells the opposite story of what's being told right here. Imagine this. <clears throat> Imagine that... You're not just looking at Jesus, but imagine for a moment that you are Jesus. And imagine that you came to bring goodness to the earth. Imagine that you came to bring renewal to the earth and that you came to bring God's Genesis, it's all good project back to the planet and replant that thing and get it going. And imagine that everywhere you went, you were trying to do the best you could to proclaim the good news of who God is and yada, yada, and imagine that that's you, and imagine that at a given point, uh, you get killed by the very single, by all the people that you came to save, by all the people who needed saving, they end up killing you. Now imagine this, it's even worse than that, it's not just you got murdered, it's that they absolutely shamed you while they murdered you, okay? You got murdered in public. It's one thing to get murdered in a back room somewhere, it's quite another to get executed in front of everyone. Not only that, did you get executed in front of everyone, but imagine that you got stripped naked and you had nails run through your hands and feet and a spear in your side. Now, how many of you understand that it's not fun to be naked in public and it's really, really, really not fun to be naked in front of your mom? Right? Like, I, I mean, 
I, I, I don't particularly enjoy being, it's okay to laugh. Like it's, some people are like, are we supposed to laugh at that? Yes, it's cool. God's not mad. Like he thinks it's crazy too. I don't particularly enjoy being naked in public. I don't think I've ever even been naked in public. But the one thing I definitely don't want to be is naked in front of my mom. And, and you don't either. And imagine that not only do you get killed, but you get stripped naked in public, nails in your hands, nails in your feet, spear in your side, crown of thorns, a mocking sign above you, naked in front of your mom, spit in your face, pull out your beard, punch you in the face. Everyone thinks it's real funny, and then you die. Then you, you're just totally dead, and everyone thinks, well, we got rid of that. And then imagine a few days later, you come back to life. Like, if this is Hollywood, if you kill the guy and you shame him and he somehow comes back to life, what are you supposed to do? Terminator, right? I'll be back, and now I've got like a spear arm thing. I don't, you remember the Terminator guy who had the sword arm? We would expect that the guy who gets killed like that, if it were you or I, we would get a sword arm out and we would go find the very guy who stripped us naked and took our underwear and sold it to another guy for money. We would go find that guy and we would give him the what for, Right? See, this, to me, this is maybe the most beautiful part of the good news. The good news is this, that the guy we murdered and the guy we shamed came back to life and he said, can I give you guys a present? How about some Holy Spirit, you guys? How about this? It's, it's incredibly good news. While we're murdering and shaming Jesus, Jesus says, Father, would you forgive them? They don't know what they're doing. That's incredibly good news. The guy that we, there's only one person that you should be afraid of in the entire universe, and his name is Jesus. The, the one guy you should be afraid of in the whole universe, the one guy that we killed and who actually came back to life and who lives forever, he's been resurrected, not resuscitated. You hear these stories in charismatic circles about people raising the dead. By the way, I believe that. I want to go for it, and I'm, I, I believe it's real. Uh, by the way, all the people who get raised uh, from the dead, they, they all die again. Like Lazarus, he died twice. Huge bummer. Jesus is the one guy in history who's been raised forever, and he's the one guy you should be really afraid of. And when he comes back, he says, I've got nothing but forgiveness for you guys. The, 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 the currents of the universe are moving with forgiveness. There is a grain in the universe. The grain of the universe is, is love and forgiveness. The one guy we should be afraid of has says there's nothing to be afraid of. Here's some Holy Spirit. You're forgiven. The grain of the universe is forgiveness. That's tremendously good news. And then it actually gets better than that. Gets better than that. The guy we murdered, the guy we shamed, comes back to life with nothing but forgiveness and gifts. And, and now he's the one who's running the universe. Oh, isn't that amazing? Who's running the universe? The king of forgiveness. That's who running, who's running the universe. This is, why, this is why if you put your trust in Jesus, you stare the last days in the face and you can expect goodness and blessing. Why? Because the guy we killed decided to forgive, no strings attached. Paul says in Romans 5.8, one of the very first verses I ever memorized as a kid, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, or actually the language is more like rebels, while we were still rebels, Christ loved us. Died for us, forgave us. It's an, come on with that. That's like tremendously good news. Good news. I don't know. Maybe it's just good news for me. You guys feeling that? 
It's like getting lighter in here. Yeah. Some of us right now, when we think about God, and especially when we think about dying, even though you've been a Christian for years, some of us feel like, wrong God. Like wrong Jesus. Like totally wrong dude. Not him. Lighten up. Take a breath. Chill out. Breathe it in. It's tremendously good news. It's stunning. That's the good news. That's the good news. That was four more bricks. So we got six bricks now. We could do more bricks, but I don't have time. Don't go to hell. Get saved. The universe is forgiveness. He's been raised up, will be raised up. We've met the end of the world. And what God is doing can't be stopped. A few more bricks in the house. Amen? Amen.